for Jesus, all for Jesus. The YouTube video you're listening to here is called St. Lawrence Catholic Church, An Uplifting View. Sweeping drone shots of St. Lawrence of Utica's bell tower fade into zooming shots of the altar which pan into shots of the stunning stained glass windows. It's set to the hymn, All for Jesus. This wasn't done by some production company or marketing team. It was done by an extremely passionate parishioner, John Derbin. This was his passion project, an homage to the frail hope he had when he wasn't John, Catholic husband, Knight of Columbus member, father of four, clean and sober. But he was John, stoned and drunk, sleeping homeless under the freezing viaduct near the River Rouge plant between shifts, willing a lighter and a few twigs to create a fire to keep him alive. This is a tribute to the small whisper of the potential life he could lead if he left everything behind. It's a memory of when some wild interventions encouraged him to, as this song says, let my feet run in his ways. Welcome to Detroit Stories, a podcast on a mission to boldly share the stories of the people and communities in Southeast Michigan. These are the stories that fascinate and inspire us. This episode is sponsored by Alliance Catholic Credit Union. Learn how you belong here at AllianceCatholic.com. John Darabin describes his Roseville upbringing as a typical one. Mom and dad were high school sweethearts, got married in the Catholic Church, and John had two siblings, an older brother and a younger sister. His mom worked a number of odd jobs while dad worked in the factory. This is John. The household was um, probably the typical, well, off, not money-wise, but well off with two parents and working and, and love. You know, we had that in the house. Let's see, I did my communion, uh, loved church. Always went to church. Uh, felt it really felt connected with the Holy Spirit. That's um, even as a child, I didn't know what it meant, but I knew that I had it, uh, and I knew I was always guided. Even as a young young boy, I knew I was guided by more. So as life progressed, uh, you know, confirmation. I never wanted confirmation because I had the choice. You can play baseball. You can play with your friends, and uh, and I chose that. As John got older, he grew aware of his brother's diverging interests. You know, my brother got into um, a faster lifestyle uh, when I was younger. And I always kind of watched him and kind of, you know, seen that it, it, it was heartbreaking a little bit. You know, it's my mom and dad uh, to deal with it, you know, booze and drugs and bonfires are hanging out. And, and I didn't quite get into that, uh, you know, or, or my sister. Uh, but I, I did watch, and I kind of knew to steer clear of it. So I, I learned from my brother, even in uh, his teenage years and my, my early years. In high school, John got a high school sweetheart of his own. They got engaged, but were hardly a match made in heaven. We split up over the, the stress of the world uh, and and not bringing faith into us. Uh, me being out all night, uh, she and her friends. And we loved each other probably to the point to where it hurt us to be together. Uh, and it wasn't it wasn't guided love. We broke up because of again we just didn't bring God or spirituality into it. 
and the world kicked our butts. Uh, you know, from you know money issues uh, that we had, uh, to work issues, um, responsibility, who does what, uh, who takes care of things. Um, going out, you know, I'm with the guys, she's with the girls. So it was the type of endeavors that destroy a relationship. Meanwhile, John's brother Rick started turning things around. He went to school and sobered up and started working with John in the factory. He had a son, Cody, who he loved wildly and was determined to stay on the straight and narrow for. But then just months after Cody turned three, John was in a devastating car accident. His truck fell off the Mackinac Bridge. For John, that did it. He was ready for any and all destructive coping mechanisms he could get to. I did the, the factory blue-collar Detroit auto worker on the line. Stereotypical story. Drank with the guys after work. We did the clubs. We did the strip clubs. I lived a life of, you know, zero church life. I did not attend church at that point at all, nor was it a concern. However, even at that point, I would wear a crucifix on my neck and then go to a gentleman's club. So it made zero sense. Uh, but I look at that backwards and realize just how immature and silly of a person I was inside at that time. But at that time, that's what I did. Uh, but the drugs came in um, progressively uh, uh, later in years and had gotten so bad that my drinking was ruining relationships. Eventually, his behavior was ostracizing even the guys from work. He had to find new people, ones who would turn a blind eye to his damaging tendencies. So my level of friends started declining. Um, I made new friends who could drink as much as I did, or who didn't care as much. And I hung out with other individuals that my heart still feels for them. And then the drugs, I took it over. And I won't go into which ones, but they were hardcore drugs. Uh, it, it wasn't the drugs that ruined my life. It was my lost soul at that point that ruined my life. Uh, it's that infinite search for definitive answer, and I was looking for something. Whatever it was that John was looking for, he sought passionately in the emptying of a bottle or getting high. The habit grew more demanding. It was demanding a fifth of vodka a day and drug use to ramp it up from there. He'd go on benders for days at a time. He had multiple court appearances. He lost his license. He lost his house. He stopped making car payments, and he moved back in with his parents, who would sit by the phone waiting for him to call when he would disappear for days at a time. I put myself into self-induced homelessness, and that's all. You know, I slept under the Vidoc for days. I would sleep in the plant. Um, you know, along the wall, I'd cover up, a, put a piece of cardboard down and, and keep in the plant. And, you know, take a shower in the morning, uh, or, or maybe not. And I would put other people's clothes that were less dirty. You know, if Joe threw a shirt that was less dirty than the shirt I had on, I would put his shirt on the next day at work. Um, because I, I couldn't live like that back with my parents. So I, I induced my own homelessness. Even I had people around me that loved me. My, my parents, they never turned their back on me. Um, and it was sad. I, I think my mom 
and dad had realized that they might lose a son, another son. One particularly dangerous homeless spree, John had an intense spiritual experience. I remember walking back to the plant along Schaefer Road. Uh, and this is in the Rouge. The Rouge plant is uh, a big complex and multiple viaducts. And it was uh, probably the end of three or four days, not coming home and out drinking and drugs. And I was walking back to the plant, and it was not quite snow on the ground, but cold enough to where I don't know why I didn't freeze to death. But underneath the viaduct, I, I had sat down and was so fatigued and drained that I knew I had a I had to start a fire, and I had a, a lighter and I gathered up some twigs, whatever was next to me. I was sitting on my butt with my back against the concrete wall, and I was trying to light this fire. And then the next thing you know, I actually visualized myself at St. Lawrence. Now, I didn't know it. It was St. Lawrence at the time. But I could see myself in this big, beautiful church. John had never stepped foot in St. Lawrence before. Though it's very near and dear to his heart today, the church he saw that night was, for him, a complete unknown. I just didn't know how to get there. And I remember yearning to get there. Now, again, it was very cold that night didn't have a jacket. I was underneath the Vidoc, trying to light this fire. And then I remember those visions and I had fallen asleep. But when I woke up, the fire was made. I, I don't remember making the fire ever getting it lit. But yet it was smoldering and it was there. So that's one of those moments that I look at God intervened. He, however, possessed that fire to start, whether it was heavenly or I didn't, don't remember, uh, but I remembered in the vision of St. Lawrence and, and have to be there. So there, there was the calling, like I could see where my spirit wanted to go. Uh, and that was to be more, um, to be more. When you hear this story, there's something you need to know about John. He's not some high and mighty holy roller. He wasn't raised with extremely devoted Catholic parents who told him stories of the miraculous deeds, visions, or stigmata of the saints. He's a very salt-of-the-earth guy. His education about the church was minimal and at times opted out for baseball. He's a guy's guy who can talk with just about anyone. So when he tells these experiences, he knows exactly how crazy he sounds. And he doesn't care. He's just trying to tell his story. This particular incident didn't get him running for a church, but it jolted him enough to desire sobriety. You know, this is stereotypical AA stuff. You know, beer only, drink after five, weekends only, hard shot. Uh, you know, so I try to control it, um, which to no avail. I had spent, again, three to five years struggling, trying to control it. John needed something extreme to encourage him through the next day. He got it. And I was at my parents' house. 
in the bedroom I grew up in, and I was sober for like a day or two. I mean, it wasn't long. And I remember just feeling, I said, what? This is it. There's, there's, there's nothing left. I was drained. I was, there, there was nothing left of anything. Life, me. Um, I don't want to say I was suicidal, but I was at the end of anything I ever could know to what to do. And I was just calling out. And the room I was in, and again, I was sitting at the edge of my bed. And the room became the most dark of dark. And then there was a, a faint light that came from the corner of my room. And, and I have a, a bedroom window there. But it wasn't from the bedroom window. The, it was absolute blackness, except for this glow, white glow, that built up in strength pretty rapidly until it was the most brilliant light ever, illuminating everything around me, except I couldn't see nothing but this light. And then the Blessed Mom appeared. It wasn't an image. It wasn't like I seen the picture. It was the physicality of her in my room and I thought, well, this is it. What is this? <laughs> this is heaven. And she looked at me and she said, your mother cannot lose another son. Now, from that moment, I'd never touched alcohol and drugs again. After 10 years, tens of thousands of dollars spent a year. And I quit that moment. But my journey had just begun that was harder than anything I ever encountered in my life. And I jumped up from the bed as she said that, and I opened the door to my room, and the whole house was dark and everybody was sleeping. And I had entered into another realm of spiritual existence. And it was up to me now at that point to physically and spiritually die or to accept what she had delivered. And it was that moment that I accepted. John's first understanding of that message was that his earthly mother, still mourning for her son Rick, couldn't possibly mourn another son. But as time went on, he took it to mean something deeper. The Blessed Mother was losing her son too the son who sweetly marched down an aisle many years ago to receive his first communion, the son who wore a crucifix to strip clubs despite the hypocrisy, the son who in his darkest moments still cried out for help in his childhood bedroom. And it was that son, however sober he was, who could still be lost. It wasn't until years later that I realized and correctly put my spirit back together that she was talking about me just as were all her children. And there's not a mother who would not cry out for their children. And she embraced me and gave me what I had to hear. Sober John was a much better John, but he still wasn't inclined to go to church. 
That took some nudging, too. I had a dream uh, of this skinny monk wearing a burqa for the lack of, you know, burlap outfit, you know, because I wasn't, you know, I didn't know, what, I still don't know what they're called, actually. But I just, I had a dream of this warrior old looking monk wearing burlap holding three cloth crosses with wiry glasses and he said to me my dream find me an odd dream that meant little to a man who'd never met a monk before but it came back to him years later about five years into his sobriety when john was scrolling through some channels on the tv and he found a catholic channel talking about a wiry monk with glasses from detroit named solanus casey and I was like, whoa, so much. I, I instantly had goosebumps. I almost I almost fainted. I, I fell backwards. And if my bed wasn't there, I, I would have hit the floor, uh, you know, on my butt. I fell backwards onto my bed, and I looked, and it was this priest I dreamt about. John went to learn more at the Solanus Casey Center, his first time entering a church since he was young. I walked down to the Father Solanus Center in Manalia, and the big wooden doors, I remember they're the heaviest doors I have ever opened, crying in tears. I opened them up and I walked into the Solana Center and I stood at the front looking at uh, uh, the atrium. And I remember Kathy, the front clerk, said, hello, welcome to the Father Solana Center. I said, here I am. The John who entered that church years ago is seldom seen outside of one now. His persona is one that is passionately in tune with the Holy Spirit. From the random person sitting on the bus that he offers prayers for, to the woman he saw briefly in the mall and instantly knew that she was his wife. He lives tethered to a heavenly realm and fully embracing the whispers of the Holy Spirit. Those whispers he sees now were always there. The unbathed, shivering man under the viaduct who envisioned St. Lawrence heard whispers of hope of what could be. And what could be was far more beautiful than anything John could have imagined if that John could have seen everything that would have come to be at St. Lawrence. It would have been a wife walking down the aisle to marry him after the two went through RCIA together. It would be the church their family clustered into pews each Sunday and the school next door where they sent their kids. It would be a beautiful life that is every day striving, praying, and seeking to live all for Jesus. Detroit Stories is a production of the Detroit Catholic and the Communications Department of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.